Take your Bibles this morning and turn with them to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we've begun this study and uh, we'll continue, Lord willing, the days ahead as we go through the book of Ephesians. And um, you know, if you've been here, the background information of what uh, the city of Ephesus was like, the surrounding area, and that's who this uh, letter is being written to. The purpose of this letter that Paul sent was so that it could be circulated through the churches. And uh, you'll recall Paul is in prison and he's under house arrest. And this is important stuff to kind of keep in mind as we go through the book. It sort of sets the backdrop for us. It gives us a better understanding of what's going on. Uh, you'll remember uh, a lot of things had happened. Uh, this city uh, was uh, a place where basically east met west. It was a huge hub. It was the happening place. It was the New York of the day, if you will. And uh, just a, a lot of things went on there. Of course, one of those things we've discussed already was a lot of the pagan practices and the uh, worship of the goddess Diana. And uh, you remember the, the uh, uprising that took place uh, amongst the silversmith there in the area because all of a sudden their sales tanked because they could no longer sell the replicas of the goddess Diana because people were being converted to Christianity. They were getting saved. There was a revival, a genuine revival that had broken out. And so Paul knows about these things, and he is writing and encouraging the, the folks there, the believers there. And specifically, he is writing to those Gentiles because, as you'll remember, uh, the Gentiles were sort of uh, the black sheep. It was funny, Kathy was talking about uh, wearing white, make sure the kids wear white. Please don't bring them in a black t-shirt tonight. That'll be the black sheep of the family. Um, but anyways, uh, the, you know, you, you see Paul writing uh, to these Gentiles because they needed the encouragement. And the Jews needed to know, look, you're not the only sheep God has. This was foreordained. This was predestined before the foundation of the world that God would engraft uh, the Gentiles and that we are one in Christ. And that was the message he wanted to send, a strong message of unity. Well, today we'll continue our study, and our text today is going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. Uh, let's look at the text as we begin our reading this morning. Therefore, uh, and anytime we see therefore, we ask what therefore is therefore. Uh, this is summing up the previous, uh, verses 3 through 14. Therefore, um, see if I can get this working. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the Spirit of of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, <clears throat> excuse me, that you may know what is the hope of the calling, of the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ 
when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Father, I ask that you would please take uh, this message this morning. I ask that you be glorified. I pray that you be honored. I pray, Lord, that you would empower me to speak your truth with boldness. And Lord, I pray that the listener would have their heart and mind attentive to receive the truth that you have for us today, that we might grow in your grace and your knowledge. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, the outline looks something like this. Paul's prayer verses 15 through 18, God's power, verses 19 through 20, the first part, and uh, the third point, Christ's position, verses 20 through 23. Let's take a look, first off, at Paul's prayers. Uh, This is found again in verses 15 through 18. Notice the text. He says here, um, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints. You may want to underline a couple of key words there. Faith and love. Faith and love. You know, uh, Jesus Himself summed up the commandments in basically two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's writing to these Gentiles. And he's heard of their faith. He knows that they've repented of their sin and they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And he's also heard of their love for one another. And he's encouraging them with that. And he starts off by saying, He does not cease, verse 16, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, is what it says, verse 16. And notice what he's praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So the question is asked, what is Paul praying for? Well, he's asked, he first prays for spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom. Uh, turn with me over to 1 John in your Bibles. I do not have this one uh, put up here for you. So you're going to have to do a little manual labor here with your thumbs. And let's head over to, uh, to 1 John. Uh, just go to Revelation and, and turn left and keep going. All right. Notice, if you would, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater 
than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Church, can I tell you one of the biggest problems in churches today is a lack of discernment. There is such a lack of discernment. Knowing right from wrong, something simple and basic. And I don't think it's so much that we don't know right from wrong. I think it's just that we numb ourselves and we, even though it is wrong, we continue on that road. We need to return to discernment. Paul knew that this area in Ephesus, that there was a lot of false prophets that were going to creep in. As we've already studied, uh, it, it's, it's possible that Nicholas, one of the uh, early uh, deacons, may have uh, eventually uh, led some form of, of sect out of the church. Uh, as you see in Revelation, when he writes to, John writes to, about the Nicolaitans. Uh, and, and so he's warning them. And here, one of his big prayers, one of his big concerns for the church there is that you will have a spirit of wisdom. My prayer for you as a pastor is to have a spirit of wisdom. You've got to discern right from wrong. But not only right from wrong, right from wrong is elementary. Okay, that's for the babies in Christ. And and I know, I understand, there's a lot of babes in Christ here, and that's fine. You're on the milk of the Word. That's where we start. Okay, we have a newborn, Sarah. Sarah Joy, she is a joy indeed. Um, But we're not feeding her steak right now. Okay? As much as Daddy wishes we were, because that would mean I'd get leftovers. We're not. We're feeding her milk, because she's a baby. If you're a baby, stay on milk. But eventually you begin to grow, and you begin to eat, and you begin to feed yourself. If you're coming here on Sunday so that I can go and put a spoon in your mouth, you've got it wrong, Christian. Don't any of you spit up on me later either, all right? And I ain't changing your diaper. (laughs) But we've got to learn to take the spoon and feed ourselves. We've got to be able to grow. Some of us aren't feeding ourselves. Truth be known, you eat on Sunday. And that's when you eat spiritually. Discernment is so lacking in our walks today. Lord, help us to have a spirit of wisdom. But maturing Christians, maturing Christians, listen up. You want to be a maturing Christian? You want to continue to grow, get stronger in your faith? Maturing Christians don't just do what is right. They do what is best. And that's where it really gets tough. Yeah, can I do this? Do I have liberty to do this? Yeah, sure I do. But is this best? You know, listening to this type of music. I'm just going to pick on an issue. For, I'm not an issue-oriented preacher. Those of you who know me. But I'm going to be an issue-oriented preacher this morning for just a second. Can I listen to this music? Sure, I can listen to this music. But is it best? Is this really what's going to build me up spiritually? Is this what's really going to cause the meditations of my heart and mind and the words of my mouth glorify God? 
I'm talking about maturing. If you're happy whining and crying and, 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 and getting mush to eat and, and soiling yourself, well, you stay there spiritually, okay? But I'm talking about us growing and maturing. We've got to make these kind of choices. Paul says, I pray for a spirit of wisdom. Notice what else. That wisdom that he's praying for comes in a revelation in the knowledge of him. You see, Christian, the more we know about Jesus Christ, the more we know of his word, the more you and I start feeding on this, the more we'll be able to discern what is pleasing, what is honoring what He wants me to do, how He wants me to live. And this is very important, as we'll find as we go through Ephesians, and we'll look at this probably in just a little bit, a, a glimpse of it. Paul's whole writing in this, in this text to these folks is to recognize what your calling is, and then he's going to give us instruction in chapter 4 on now walk worthy of that calling. We name the name of Christ. You say you're Christian. I say I'm Christian. There are certain things that ought to be evident in the way we live. Is it evident? So this is Paul's prayers. Uh, this is what he is, he is praying for. Notice, he continues on. He says, he prays that, um, that, that the Lord would give you eyes of understanding. Notice the text. He says, verse 17. So he, 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 we'll back it up, 16. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory... By the way, that little phrase there is a phrase that's used oftentimes in Paul's letters, and it's a connection phrase. It's used to bring about the essence of who God is. And so the two combined together is an illustration, an explanation of the nature, the essence of the Godhead. Um, So he continues on, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now what does that mean? The eyes of understanding. Being enlightened. Well, it's probably better uh, written, the eyes of understanding or the eyes of your heart. You know, you've heard the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Uh, A friend of mine ruined that song for me, uh, and now I'm going to ruin it for you this morning. Every time he, he told me that song, he says, every time I, I, I picture my heart going like this, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Anyway. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Um, but that's what this phrase, the eyes of understanding, the eyes of your heart, the core, the inner person, who you are at your soul being. Open, those, open the understanding of the inner man to know to be enlightened. I need to see spiritually. I need to be able to discern. I need to be able to to move forward understanding these truths. And that's what Paul is, is petitioning on their behalf. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and by the way, that should be better translated to the Father whom the glory belongs. All the glory 
belongs to the Father. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And you've heard me tell this time and time again, and you will continue to hear me tell this time and time again, it's not about us. What's satisfying you in your life? If it's not God, then it's not a pleasing life. It's not a satisfying life. Not even though you may be deceived and your life's pretty good. I've got a niece I love dearly, but right now she's on a path of destruction. And I know I've been on that path. But it's, it's, it's a meaningless, it's a life of destruction. You know, ultimately when we stand before the Lord, only thing that will count in all of glory is what we've done for the Lord. Not that merits earn His favor, but we have been, once we come to that place of repentance and trust in Jesus Christ, we're made a new being in Christ. We were created in Him, as we'll find later in the text as we move forward uh, next week, next couple weeks, that you were created for good works. Okay, Good works don't bring us to salvation, but from salvation, good works should follow. So where are you in your life? Uh, has the, the eyes of your heart been opened to the fact that life is about Him and what we do for Him and how we represent Him? Everything you do should be centered around Him. I heard a great message. Praise the Lord. Appreciate all of you who have been praying for my dad. Um, we went for Thanksgiving and uh, got to spend some time with my dad my brother. Um, my brother turned 40 years old, and uh, we celebrated uh, both his birthday and my dad's birthday, and I did this by buying them Atlanta Falcons football tickets. I know, I could have found a better team to go see. But, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it could have been better. But I'm talking about they were playing the Tampa Bay Bucks, you know, so <laughs> it, it doesn't get any worse than that. And I saw that Steelers move back there, and uh, we know their record's about as good as Atlanta. But anyway... <laughs> So, I, but I do appreciate the prayers. I got to go with, with my brother and my dad, and uh, we went to the football game. And um, my brother is so funny because, you know, he tries to catch, you know, little, you know how people are when you, you're living for the Lord, walking for the Lord. They're going to look at you under a microscope to try and find something. So my brother says, well, wait a minute, that's Sunday. That's Sunday morning. We had to leave Sunday morning. And I knew where he was going. I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's fine. I said, I've got one prerequisite. We're going to have church, but we're going to have church on the drive to the stadium. I've got a captive audience. So I put in a CD of an evangelist who spoke, and uh, the message could not have been any more providential. It was a straightforward salvation message. And so for the whole time, they had to sit and listen to this guy preach about salvation. I loved it, and, um, but it, it was really good. But the guy made the comment, he said, you know, he said, it, it, you wonder why you're, you get a flat tire. He says, it's so when that person comes to help you that you can share Christ with him. Do you know why God has you in the workplace you're in? So that that co-worker can be told about Christ. Do you know why you're in the school you're in? It's so that that person who sits beside you in class or that person that you've befriended can know about Christ. And he goes through a different things on how circumstances, how life seems to happen, and that those purposes are key providential things. God knows you and He knows who He's put around you. And the question is, are you going to 
be faithful to where He's put you to be a witness for Him. And uh, I thought it was very neat because, wouldn't you know, you listen to a message like that, you're guaranteed car problems if you're a pastor. Sure enough, our water pump went out. <laughs> Guess what's ringing through my mind when I'm, stand, when I'm standing in the garage waiting for my car to be repaired? This happened so you could tell this person about Christ. So we did Way of the Master. We took them through, and I, and I shared with them and gave them a million-dollar bill, and which one of these is bigger, you know, did a little optical illusion. And it was good, and it was very well-received. Um, I, I hadn't planned to tell this, but I, I'm going to tell this one because this was, this was a neat one. While my car is being repaired, I walk over to this new Walmart, and it was pouring rain, cold rain. And um, anyway, I go over there and to pass the time. Alice and the kids were back at the room. And while I'm in there, I notice that they've got these neat little machines at Walmart now. Well, I'm behind the times. That you can actually take your cell phone and you can set it to Bluetooth and you can send a signal to this machine and it'll pull up all your pictures that are in your phone. And then you can print out your pictures that are on your phone. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that. So... Uh, anyway, this young lady comes over and says, can I help you? And, and obviously she knew I had no clue what I was doing, so yeah. Uh, so she starts helping me. She's telling me that, you know, we get in this conversation, and she was an exchange student in Germany for a while, and it's just a great conversation. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit's saying, you've got to share your faith with her. That's why I brought you here. So uh, wait for the right opportunity. And it was so neat. We... I came up to the desk to pay, and she started saying something about the Christmas music they were playing in the store was driving her crazy. She says, you know, every year they start playing this earlier and earlier, and it's just driving me mad. And then she goes on to say that it's sad that it's become so commercial that some people are preying on less intelligent people to make money. And so she was taking a cheap shot at all of us. Of course, she doesn't know I'm a pastor at this point. And she tells, you know, this, that basically we're not very smart because we believe in Jesus of the Bible. So she keeps talking. I keep letting the rope go a little. And uh, she ends up um, saying this, you know, and, and how, and I said, yeah, I said, I wasn't, I didn't get smart until I was 25. Now, I'm alluding to my conversion experience. She said, oh, well, I was much younger. I was four when I, when I got wise. And she's talking about when she knew there wasn't a God. And I said, well, you know, I said, you look pretty smart. You're a pretty smart girl. I can tell that about you. She says, well, yeah. And she, she did. She responded. She said, well, yeah, you know, I, I try to be. And I said, well, a smart girl like you ought to do real good on an IQ test. And I pulled out one of my IQ cards. And the card I had was the card that has the print on the front. I says, what does that say? And she says, God is nowhere. I said, hmm, no, you got it wrong. Look at it again. It says God is now here. You could have just sensed in that room that the wind got sucked out. Her soul sank. And she took the card and she looked at it and she goes, huh, it does. Light went off, and she turned it over, and I says, you can have that, and I trust that you'll read it. And uh, it, was a, it was a real God moment. I mean, you know, you have some of those God moments. It was a God moment. 
And in that instance, you could just tell she was very humbled before the Lord. And God had opened those doors. So I take that rabbit trail to tell us this. Such as Paul was praying for those in Ephesus, I pray for you. Don't forget your focus. Don't forget why you're here. Okay? No matter what's going on in your life, no matter the circumstances, just as Paul prays, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. So, uh, and, and that's, that is uh, this pastor's prayer. Let's continue on. Um, what, what does he want the saints to know? He wants them to know the hope. Know the hope of his calling. Uh, look with me over in Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's one of Paul's prayers. That is my prayer, just as we've gone through and explained this morning. If you're naming the name of Christ, your actions need to be lining up. Also, Paul wants their, uh, their understanding, uh, their eyes of their understanding to be opened so that they know the riches of the glory of His inheritance. We talked about this previously in the other text. Do you know, Christian, what awaits you? Eternal life. A resurrected body with no more aches and pains. Hallelujah. Man, I just realized I was one year old when this church was conceived. (laughs) But boy, I'm feeling a lot older nowadays. We'll get a glorified body. Eternity. Life. Abundant life. No more tears. No more suffering. The bliss. Listen, it... He tells us in his writings, mind won't even be able to comprehend what awaits us. We can't even begin to process the thought of glory. But that's what's waiting. That's the inheritance. Um, Notice, I need to move on quickly here. The next point, and by the way, I'm kind of skimming through these things. It's tough on a Sunday morning, especially doing a book study. Uh, You know, ask Henry. You sit in on a book study on Henry's. Uh, how long, how many years now are you into uh, Philemon? Just kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> but really, though, you do a book study, I mean, you've got to dig it out. And that, again, is a challenge this morning for us. Let's get in and, and, and feed on this stuff. I'm sort of giving, uh, giving you just a, a little taste this morning. I hope that you will go home and look at this closely. Uh, the next point is God's power. Uh, notice God's power. The text here, verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness? You know what Paul is praying for? He's praying that your eyes of understanding will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the, of his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Do you know the exceeding greatness in, in, in God's power towards us who believed? Well, he gives us an example. This is the same type of power that was worked in Christ. Notice the text. It says uh, that the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. If you are a born-again believer here this morning, the same power that raised Christ from the dead to never die again, 
eternal life, a glorified state, that's the same power that one day will raise you. That's amazing. To think that the corruptible will put on incorruption. Never to decay again. Where's your treasure? Is it here? Is it in this world? Have we been so blinded by the hype around us that we've lost sight of what our real purpose is? He's building a mansion for you. He's preparing your place. Think about it. Know what it's about. He worked this power in Christ. You see the resurrection uh, it mentions here. And it also talks about the reward. Notice what he says. He worked it in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You know, that applies to us as believers. Not only will we experience the resurrection, we'll also experience reward. And some of us more so than others. Because a lot of things will be hay, wood, and stubble and it'll be burned up. And those are the things that you've done that don't account for anything. You know? Uh, And we do a lot of those things that don't count for anything. Where's your heart? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. If you've set your heart on things above, that's where your treasure is going to be. But if my heart is all about my pals and the gals, I mean, you know, if it's about life and, and, and the pursuit of happiness, you may get a tempor- temporary pleasure here, but what good is that in eternity? So, we've seen Paul's prayers. We've seen God's power. Now let's look at Christ's position. Uh, notice here, it's alluded to it. It says, He is seated. That phrase, he is seated, it, it gives us uh, that understanding that it's complete, it's finished. He sat down, it's done. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it was complete. When he died on the cross, he says, it is finished. Okay, there's nothing else that needs to be done. You cannot earn your salvation. It's complete, it's in Christ. That's the gift God has given to this world. We get to Christmas time, a lot of the presents that are being given. Keep this in mind with every present that is given should draw our attention to the fact that God gave the greatest gift He could give. Himself. He gave His Son. He gives to us as believers the Comforter. Have you received the gift? It's our prayer that that is the gift that you will receive. Christ's position, he talks about here um, that, uh, that exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. Let me read a little something. This comes from uh, John Phillips. And uh, it's a a great uh, exposition of when he talks about this this power, this 
ge'e, that the word that's translated working, which means strength put forth. God made an enormous exponential of His strength, power, and energy in the work of the cross and the subsequent emptying of the tomb in order to redeem us from sin. Listen to this. Men had done their worst. They had beaten Christ until His face was scarcely recognizable and scourged Him until His back was as furrowed as a farmer's field. They had crowned Him with thorns so that blood ran in rivers down His head. They had wrenched His beard. Then they nailed Him to a wooden cross and hung Him up to die. Every bone in His body was out of joint. Sheer physical exhaustion and raging thirst levied their toll. Agonizing minutes crept on until after six hours of torment, he imperially dismissed his spirit, bowed his head, and died. To make sure he was dead, a soldier took a spear and stabbed him. Christ was taken down from the cross. Loving hands bathed his mortal remains and swathed them in spices and bandages, layer upon layer. His body was put into a rock home tomb, and the entrance closed with a massive stone, was secured with the Roman governor's seal. Then a guard was detailed to patrol the site and keep intruders away. That was that. Christ was dead and buried. Or so men thought. Soon it would be safe to remove the guard. The natural process of corruption and decay was at work. A little longer and the much feared three days to his foretold resurrection would have come and gone. Then Jesus could be written off as a notable imposter. His story would be interred in the rubbish heap of history. Christ's claim to be God manifest in the flesh would never survive the dissolution of His body in the tomb. The hours passed slowly. His enemies bet that Christ would not rise again and that the Jesus movement would collapse. But God on His throne in heaven was laughing and Christ was proclaiming His triumph to the souls of the departed in Hades. His body lay in stately grandeur on its granite slab, quietly sleeping, defying the ordinary process of death. Then, when the third day dawned, Christ burst the bands of death, rose bodily through the hampering grave clothes, and marched out in the power of an endless life through the sealed door of the tomb with a wild yell of mortal terror. The soldiers fled for Jerusalem. Christ's resurrection appearances began and the empty tomb became the evidence that He did rise again. Raising Jesus from the dead was the demonstration of God's energy, God's power. And now we see Christ in His position. He is seated. It's finished. It's complete. The Bible says that He's far above all. Not a little bit above all. Far above all. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he reminds us in this text, Paul says that far above all principality, uh, power, might, dominion, and those words that I just named summed up in a nutshell basically are descriptions of the angelical beings the Jews would often refer to. And they would use different names. But basically, it doesn't matter what principality, what power, what angel, what, what demon, whatever case. And notice lastly, every name that is named. Jesus Christ's name is far above all. It doesn't matter if it's the name Buddha. It doesn't matter if it's the name Allah. It doesn't matter if it's Muhammad. Every name that's named, Christ is far above all. Amen? And Paul is telling the saints, this same power, the same riches, the same glory, he says, here, whosoever will come, let him come. Who's thirst at thirst, let him come and drink. God wants us to know that. Paul is trying to encourage these Gentile believers. Do you know what riches... Do you know what blessings God has bestowed upon us? And understanding Christ's position, we know that all things are under His feet. It says that He is head over all things to the church. Notice the the, uh, passage there. Um, It says in verse uh, 20, uh, read with me in the second part. It says, which he worked in Christ, he raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Not only here and now, but also in that millennial kingdom. Christ's name will be hailed. He says that he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. You know whose church this is? It's not those founders. It's not this pastor. It's not us people sitting on these pews. This church is the Lord Jesus Christ church. He is the head. And that's where we get our instruction. Christian, are you getting your instructions on daily living from the Lord? If you're not, who are you? Who are you? We have to know who we are in Christ. And if you claim to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then He describes who you are. He says, walk worthy of your calling. And if we're not walking worthy of this calling, the name of Christian, can I encourage you, saint, this morning to yield your heart and life I heard a a, a person say this, and I never thought about this. Just this past week, I heard this. And we've all seen the illustration of the, you know, the little chair, and and if God's not on the throne of your heart, then you are on the throne of your life. And, And he says, no, that's wrong. He said, bottom line is, Jesus is Lord, period. Question is, are you obedient or disobedient? And I understand the premise with the whole thing. But the bottom line is whether you're being obedient or not, Jesus is still Lord of your life. You have been purchased. You have been bought. You are not your own. So even if you want to tell yourself to do this or do that, if it's outside of His will, be sure 
you'll be hearing from the head of the church. Now, if you're getting away with a lifestyle that's not becoming of a Christian, you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith because you could have deceived yourself. Because the Scriptures make it very clear. Don't take my word for it. Read 1 John. If you're living a lifestyle that's contrary to the Word of God and you know it and you're not being chastised for it, you need to check yourself to see if you are in the faith. Christ's position, He's head over all things to the church. And the church is His body. It's the fullness of Him. Well, let's get to the application as we close out. What's the application? The application is my prayer for you is like that of Paul's. That for you to know Christ. And I realize some of you are here this morning and and truth be known, you don't know Christ. And I'm not talking about a knowledge. When Paul says, I pray for you that you'll be enlightened in the knowledge, he's not talking about head knowledge. He's talking about heart knowledge. He's talking about experiential knowledge. Have you experienced the life transforming power of Jesus Christ. Because I can tell you, if you have tasted, then you see and know God is good. But if God has never done a transforming work in your heart, can I encourage you this morning to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? He says, whosoever will, let him come. If any man comes to me, I won't cast him out. God wants you to come to him this morning by faith. Would you cry out to God, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge that you're willing to turn your life over to Him, that you're repenting of these sins, forsaking them, putting them behind, never to visit them again, and say, God, by faith I'm asking to receive Jesus Christ and His finished work. By faith I'm putting my trust in the person of Christ and that He and He alone can redeem my soul. That's my prayer for you this morning, that you would know Him, that you would meet Him. It's also for you to grow in Christ. Church, we have to mature. There are some things there in the Greek that we did not hit on, but basically, in a nutshell, it's, it's this. We can't allow emotions to control us. I may not feel this or feel that, but that doesn't matter. Emotions can't order our steps. The Word of God has to lead us. The Spirit of God has to whisper as we follow in obedience, faithful obedience to the Word. As you feed, as you grow, and God will convey His truth to your heart, you will mature. You will begin to make decisions on not what is just good and bad, but what is best. My prayer for you is that you will be complete in Christ, in His strength, in His might. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory... To glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, this is God's plan in your life, that you become conformed to the image of His Son. Romans 8, 29, For whom He foreknew, 
He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Christ rose from the dead. You will rise from the dead victorious over death to eternal life if by faith you receive His Son. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. That's my prayer for you. That you'll meet Him. That you'll grow in Him. You'll know Him. You'll grow in Him. Church, we have much work to be done for the kingdom of God. Let this be the place where we get things settled in our heart, where we get things resolved, so that we can be the people He's called us to be. Just as Paul is praying for those believers, those Gentiles, that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. This pastor is praying for you and for me that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. And guess what? He says we can be confident. He will complete this work which He's begun. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the example of Paul's prayer. And thank you for God's power. And Lord, we thank you so much for Christ's position. Lord, I pray just as Paul prayed that you would help us and challenge us this morning. You would speak to us. But Lord, I realize that in a crowd this size that there's probably someone here this morning who has never come to that place of true surrender. Father, it's my prayer this morning that you would draw those people to yourself. That, Lord, they might meet you this morning. No one looking around. I want to ask, is there anyone here this morning perhaps uh, would be honest and say, hey, Pastor, I've never really met God. And something in me spoke this morning, something stirred my heart that I'm, I'm not... I'm not where I need to be. I, I just, I don't think I know the Lord. Pray for me. Is there anyone here this morning who would slip their hand up and be honest and say, I just, I, I don't know the Lord. I'm just being honest. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out or come to you. I, I just want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up real high where I can see it and pull it right back down. Anyone. I'm not sure I know the Lord. Perhaps you're here this morning and you do know the Lord, but Things haven't been exactly the way they need to be. And perhaps God spoke to you this morning through His Word that, you know, I I, I see now. I understand. And God, by Your grace, I'm asking You that You would empower me to walk in victory, to realize who I am in Christ. Would there be anybody here this morning that, that that's their prayer? Would you slip your hand up? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I would encourage you this morning, if you feel led, you want to come and pray, the altar's open. Take some time and just uh, speak to your Heavenly Father. He's here. He wants to hear from you. He wants to encourage you and strengthen you.
You do what God will have you do this morning. Father, I, I trust that you will deal with hearts as only you can. I thank you for the preaching and teaching of your word that it goes on in this church faithfully every week. We have excellent Sunday school teachers who proclaim uh, the truth, Lord. I just ask that you would help us all as students to learn to take the spoon and, and learn to feed ourselves throughout the week to meditate on your truth and to feed on what it is you have for us. Father, mature us. And that's not something that's going to happen just because we pray it. We've got to put feet to our prayer. And Lord, I pray that as a church family that that's exactly what we would do, that we would lay aside the, the emotion and we'd lay aside the feeling, that we'd lay aside the hindrances, the sins that so easily beset us. Whatever it is, Lord, may we just cast our cares upon you. Father, we ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing tonight, that you would bring us back if it be your will, that uh, we would encourage others to come. As we uh, pray for tonight's cantata, I ask that you would be exalted and glorified, Lord, with uh, what's uh, to take place tonight. And Father, I, I pray that you remind us again throughout this week of the providential appointments that you have for us. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name.